The night may be long and the dark may be deep, but the answers are there to be found. Whether it's the normal, the abnormal, or the paranormal, you're in the right place. Let's go beyond reality. We've got Rodney Asher joining us in just a little bit. He is a filmmaker whose feature debut film was a subjective documentary called Room 237. This film takes a look at one of my favorite movies of all time. Not only am I a horror film fan, but I'm also a good film fan. And this one, uh, this film actually fits the bill on both counts. It's uh, Stanley Kubrick's The Shining. And one of the things about The Shining is that it is uh, reported to be, from certain conspiracy circles, to be a message-filled film where Stanley Kubrick was trying to get secret messages out to people. He was trying to encode things in the film that could be deciphered later so that um, he could tell a story that he wasn't allowed to tell directly. And one of those things was about the faked moon landing. But either way, um, our guest Rodney Asher is going to talk all about this. Plus, there's other theories and other things that the film is uh, supposed to be about, according to some of these conspiracy theorists. And uh, we also are going to talk about another one of his films, um, which is called uh, The Nightmare, which you may or may not have seen. I saw it on Netflix, I believe. And it's about sleep paralysis and some of the things that go on with people that have sleep paralysis. It includes things like seeing shadow people and Top Hat Man and some very, very bizarre and very, very frightening uh, events that happen to folks that experience this phenomenon known as uh sleep paralysis. We'll take your uh, phone calls as well later in the program at 844-687-7669. Taking a look ahead at the week, tomorrow night we've got Gary Michael Vazzi on. He will be talking about black-eyed kids and other paranormal phenomena. And then Thursday night, The Shark, Bruce Markison, will be filling in for me, and he will be here to uh, bring you Justin Elledge. Justin is a medical intuitive. He's called the human MRI, um, medical intuition and its application to modern health challenges and new discoveries for practices of enhancing clarity of mind, body, and spirit. That's what Justin will be talking about Thursday night with the shark, Bruce Markison, filling in for Jason and I for Thursday night. Because I will be headed to Hudson, Ohio, for a really, really neat event. If you're anywhere near Hudson, the Cleveland area in Ohio, plan on coming to the Norwood Inn and Suites uh, Saturday or and or Sunday, for that matter. Check out this event. There's going to be a whole bunch of uh, celebrities from horror films. Plus, I'll be there. And Rebecca Foster will be there. Rebecca and I will be doing, well, she'll be doing the Psychic Gallery reading. I'll be emceeing it. But we'll be doing a presentation at 2 o'clock on Saturday. And uh, we invite everybody to attend. Uh, We'll be signing autographs, taking pictures. I just got a brand new banner that I'm going to be hanging up behind me. I don't even need to be in the booth. I can just hang the banner. It's a much better, much better thing to look at. Um, But that's all happening in Hudson, Ohio. At uh, the event is called Dark Xmas. And in fact, you can find out more information about it if you go to the website darkx-mas.com. It's been going on for a while. It's a great event. I'm very, very pleased and honored to be a part of it and again i'll be heading out there thursday and uh, be there through the weekend so hopefully we can get uh, we can get a bunch of you to show up i know a couple of you plan on doing that um looking forward to it anyway the um i've, I've got something else that's kind of special tonight that i'm excited about now as many of you who watch our youtube stream know um i discovered a box in a uh, storage area that i have that was full full of cassette tapes 
yeah, you know those old tapes, you know, cassette players, cassette. Yeah, we don't we don't use them anymore. Uh, it's been a while in the digital age. There's just no need for them. But they're still kind of cool when you find them and you uh, recall uh, what you used to do with them. And I used to make a bunch of mixtapes, as many people who had cassette recorders would do. And I pulled out one of these tapes earlier today, and I was just listening through it, and I thought, that'd be really cool if I used this music as bumper music for tonight's show. So that's what I'm going to do. So the bumper music that I'll be playing for you tonight has is all from this particular mixtape that I found in the box of cassettes. And it's, uh, I'm, I'm going to guess, 1985, 86, 87, somewhere in there is when I made this tape. And I'm sure I did it, and I'm sure I was rocking out to it in the car and at parties. All those things were happening with this particular mixtape. And I'll let you be the judge if any of the music is worthy of it. But also, if you're in the chat room, I'm gonna, I'm really curious. I know a few of you are pretty sharp when it comes to uh, naming tunes uh, and artists. Well, we'll see if you can get all of these because um, a couple of them are pretty obscure by today's standards. So that'll be pretty interesting as well. Um, so again, we're going to be bringing in Rodney Asher to talk about his film Room 237 in just a little bit. Uh, I want you to first take a moment and go to the website beyondrealityradio.com and order your Beyond Reality Radio coffee mug. It's a great Christmas gift for anybody on your holiday list. It really, really looks good, and coffee tastes better out of it than from any vessel you could put coffee in. I promise that. In fact, uh, after saying that last night, we had a bunch of orders overnight. So thank you to all those folks who jumped on the website and ordered it. It's $20. That includes domestic shipping. If it's internationally ordered, uh, we'll have to uh, do some custom shipping options for you. So um, again, that's at beyondrealityradio.com. I also invite you to go to my Facebook page and give that a uh, like. It's uh, at JVJ Paranormal, or you can just find it if you just search JV Johnson. And you'll see it there and love to have you like my page so you can keep track of what's going on on the show, what I'm doing and uh, all sorts of fun stuff. So let's see. Did I cover everything? Yes, we're doing the bumper music. Um, We've got Rodney Asher coming up in just a moment. All right. Why don't we take a break? And uh, when we come back, I'll bring our guest in, Rodney Asher. We're going to talk about Room 237, his documentary about Stanley Kubrick's The Shining. It's Beyond Reality Radio. I'm J.V. Johnson. Thanks for being here with me tonight. Did you know that online retailers like Amazon have constant deals that can save you money on the things you buy every day? It's no joke. Save 40%, 50%, even 80% on great products. And all you have to do is know about them. Noodle Shark is the way to be alerted when something good is coming your way. Noodle Shark is the social media page that lists great deals that not only save you money, but give you the deals before anyone else has them. All you have to do is find Noodle Shark on Facebook. Search it as The Noodle Shark. That's The Noodle Shark. Because you deserve to save too. Become a shark and save. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Anyway, welcome back to the show. It's Beyond Reality Radio. I'm J.V. Johnson. Jason is off tonight. He's a bit under the weather. Hopefully, he'll be back with us tomorrow night. I'm not going to make promises like I did last night because I can't be sure, but hopefully he will be. Tonight, we're going to be talking about something that's that's um, actually been circulating in conspiracy circles for a while, and that is hidden messages that may or may not be in Stanley Kubrick's movie, The Shining. Our guest is Rodney Asher. Rodney's a filmmaker. His website is his name, Rodney Asher, and Asher is spelled A S 
C-H-E-R.com, RodneyAsher.com. And the film we're going to talk about is a documentary that he made called Room 237. It is uh, exactly about that topic. It's about Stanley Kubrick's movie, The Shining, and it offers five different perspectives on what that film may be trying to tell us, what Kubrick, what messages Kubrick was trying to send to us through images and dialogue in the film. Rodney, welcome to Beyond Reality Radio. It's a real pleasure to have you on tonight. Hey, thanks, JV. Uh, good to be here. So the first thing I'd like to know is a little bit about you. How long have you been making films? Gosh, you know, um, in some ways it feels like um, 237 was the beginning, but, you know, I've been making, you know, short films or music videos, um, um, animation, comedy videos, you know, for the web for, you know, at least 15 years before, you know, since I came out of school in the 90s. Um, you know, but 237 was my first feature. And 237 was introduced, what, in 2012 it was released? Yeah, well, 2012 is when we debuted um, in Sundance, and uh, it was released in theaters uh, in 2013 after, you know, sort of doing the festival circuit for a little while. Right. Um, you... Uh have done a lot of work since as well, but uh, as we try to get to know you a little bit better, who would you say some of your filmmaking influences are? Well, I mean, Kubrick, absolutely, but, you know, also people like, you know, Errol Morris, you know, I think anybody who um, is working on documentaries today, you can't, you know, overstate the influence of a movie like The Thin Blue Line, you know, the way, you know, he handled reenactments and not just reenactments of, you know, things as they happened, but reenactments of things as people said they happened, um, you know, with, you know, incredible sort of cinematic use of music and, you know, creating mood above and beyond, you know, um, you know, something that's much more straightforward with talking heads and, um, and clips. But, you know, there's also like a string of like Paul Schrader films from the 80s that I've never been able to get out of my head. You know, hit movies like... Um, Cat People and Patty Hearst. Right. And his Patty Hearst movie in particular, which is kind of hard to find now, um, made a huge influence, had a, had a huge influence on me, both for, you know, kind of the way that he gets at a true story, but also something as simple as the way he uses black space um, in the frame. I mean, I've always loved movies that have big, endless black voids that stretch out into infinity. Um you know, if you're into them too, um, that um, that movie under under her skin, under the skin, that um, science fiction film with a uh, Scarlett Johansson oh, yeah, a couple of years ago. Yeah, right. Of course. Some of the yeah, it has some of the best inky um, infinite black voids uh, that I've ever seen on film. Um, you know, when I when I was looking at uh, a photo from you, I think it came from IMDb. You kind of have a John Nance thing going there. Is there is there any uh, intention there with the with the eraser <laughs> the eraser head connection, or is that just coincidental? Uh, that, that's just the way the hair comes out. <laughs> but um, you know, David, you know, you, you you can't overstate the influence of you know uh, 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 of David Lynch on uh, folks you know who came of it, who you know who saw Blue Velvet in college either. <laughs> um, it, with uh, Room 237 is obviously a documentary, um, and you, The Nightmare, I believe, is you'd also consider a documentary, um, but you've done some non-documentary work as well. Yeah, mostly in shorter forms. You know, I just did a five-minute horror short, um, 
or a comedy short maybe, and, you know, maybe the fun connection with that is we had uh, Leon Vitale in it, you know, and he'd worked with Kubrick, you know, since Barry Lyndon, and he, like, does the voice of Red Cloak in uh, Eyes Wide Shut. Um, they just put out a documentary about him and all the work that he did behind the scenes on the Kubrick films, and he's just an incredible personality. I have to say that as far as a filmmaker goes, uh, Stanley Kubrick didn't hit my radar until rather recently, and once it once he did, and once his work really started to uh, make sense to me, and I think that was part of the problem earlier, it didn't make as much sense to me. Um, I realized that he was is is or can, could be considered one of the greatest filmmakers of the 20th century, and uh, maybe of all time. I mean, he really his stuff is brilliant. Oh well, um, you know, I, I I couldn't agree more. Um, you know, I got into him, you know, early in high school, or even like I saw a revival of two thousand and one when I was, um, gosh, I was probably in elementary school, um, and you know, I was just obsessed with you know some of the images that burnt their way into my head back then. Um, there's a really interesting thing that I heard of that that I keep coming at with Stanley Kubrick, and when I talk to people about him, you know, it's that whatever walk of life people come from, um, people who get him, people who relate to him, sort of see themselves in him, or maybe the reverse, which is to say that, you know, the composer that I've worked with a few times now and who did the music for Room 237 said that he always thought of Stanley Kubrick as the world's greatest music supervisor because his taste in music Mm. is so good. And, you know, Bill Blakemore, one of the guys that we talked to in Room 237, who's a journalist and a historian, talks about Stanley Kubrick as being an incredible journalist, that he's, you know, trying to work with history through all of his movies. Um, so it feels so... And, and I've always sensed, even but you know, well, long before, you know, I was a filmmaker when I was in high school, you know, um, and got into A Clockwork Orange, that... When you get into his stuff, as much as, you know, the formal aspects of how beautiful the photography is, how striking um, the music or, you know, compelling the story, for me, one of the things that really leap out is the attitude. You know, that there's, you know, sort of this, you know, there's a cynical, you know, wise-ass attitude that <laughs> I think a lot of people connect to. And if you're, you know, kind of vibrating at his frequency, you know, you feel that he that that he's a lot like you, you know, or that if you um you know, if you ever had had a chance to meet him, that you would understand each other, that you got that you that you'd be friends. And it's a personal quality of a uh, of feeling the filmmaker behind the film that I don't always get, you know, with everybody. I don't always necessarily see a film and have a sense of you know, what the personality would be, you know, the filmmaker behind the scenes. We're, we're coming up on a break here, but uh, one thing I did notice on the Facebook page for Room 237 was that uh, Malcolm McDowell uh, is hosting a series of music events featuring scores from Kubrick Films. Is that Did I read that correctly? Yeah, doesn't that sound terrific? Yeah, it really does. And actually, Malcolm McDowell was a guest of mine um, at a convention that I host uh, just a couple weeks ago, so I got to meet the man. Yeah, well, there was that great quote um, that I think I dug up before I posted it where, you know, in uh, Clockwork Orange, when he's trying to lure those girls back to his apartment, he's like, come with uncle and listen to um, 
devil tr- angel trombones and devil trumpets that, you know, Malcolm McDowell is the perfect host because, you know, his whole character in Clockwork Orange is so obsessed and so passionate about music. So for him to host, you know, sort of an evening of music from Kubrick films, you know, there, there couldn't be a better person to stage that. Absolutely. We are talking with Rodney Asher. We're talking about his Room 237 documentary, which looks at Stanley Kubrick's The Shining through the eyes of five very different people. Uh, Are there messages? Are there images that are telling a story there other than just what the obvious story is of The Shining? We'll uh, find out a little bit more when we come back with Rodney. Our phone number is 844-687-7669. We will be taking your phone calls a little bit later uh, as we continue this discussion. We invite you not only to call in, but stop at our Facebook page and comment there as well as the chat room. It's all available for you. Welcome back to the show. It is a JV's Mixtape Bumper Music Tuesday, which we just came up with earlier tonight, and uh, welcome to the show. Uh, Rodney Asher is our guest tonight. He's a filmmaker. We're talking about his film, Room 237. Rodney, is that how you say it? I would say Room 237, or uh, you say Room 237. Is that how you prefer it to be uh, mentioned? I'm, I'm happy either way. I, 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 seem, to, I seem to say, um, I seem to usually just defer to 237. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and delete the room altogether um, in the interest of uh, brevity. Um, when did uh, Stanley Kubrick's work, The Shining, uh, become uh, something that you recognized was worthy of this type of documentary? Well, you know, it became an important film for me almost you know, immediately. I, I snuck into a screening when I was a little kid um, and only made it you know, about 10 minutes in, um, you know, before I ran out in, in terror, um, you know, and then revisited it on cable again and again and again in the years afterwards. Um, but, you know, the genesis of this project was really about um, finding, you know, discovering how many people have sort of spent this much time, you know, going over it again and again, you know, trying to, you know, sort of decode it, almost like the Da Vinci Code. Um, You know, I had a clue about it, you know, a a few years before. I mean, there was a book that I had read um, by Thomas Allen Nelson called um, Kubrick Inside a Filmmaker's Maze. And there was about, there was a footnote um, attached to, you know, the number room 237 the first time he mentioned it. And then that brought us to about a paragraph of, you know, sort of numerology around, around that number, adding it up, um, to get 12 and looking at that as sort of the opposite of 2001, um, folks, you know, even somebody within the course of our film talks about, um, the shining being kind of a, a reverse image of 2001. If 2001 is about, you know, primitive men evolving, you know, into contemporary human beings and beyond, you know, in some ways The Shining is the opposite, you know, where a modern man devolves into savagery. Um, and just thinking about the complexity of that number choice um, made an impression on me. Um, but then, you know, my friend Tim, who went on to produce the movie, you know, turned me on to what Jay Widener had written about, you know, the whole moon landing conspiracy as it's, as, you know, he saw it embedded within the text of the film. And very quickly, the idea of kind of exploring 
multiple interpretations, you know, as sort of a essay film um, came to mind. You know, it was, you know, a year or so after I had finished another film about a short about um, people who had sort of a, um, a phobia of the Screen Gems logo. And you yeah, know, I saw I saw that I saw that on your <laughs> website. I was I I didn't click the play button, but I intended to later. So what was that about? People, there's actually people who have a phobia of that logo. Yeah, well, they had like childhood. There, there's a lot of you know a lot of people had have you know experienced sort of childhood phobias of you know, different TV and movie logos. Um, you know, most people look at it look back at it now. You know, sort of um, tongue in cheek, but. You know, when they were very, very young, and I'm talking, you know, three, four, five years old, um, you know, it really got it really got under their skin. And I did sort of a tongue-in-cheek, like, 10-minute horror film about it. Um, and, you know, that one wound up, you know, playing wider than most things that I had made <laughs> before. Um, and so in a, I don't know, in, in a very roundabout way, that sort of gave me the confidence to jump into something like this, which in a similar way is about how, you know, kind of a, a piece of pop culture, you know, could kind of capture people's imagination and just drive them to look at it deeper and deeper and deeper, kind of struggling with, you know, what's what's there behind, you know, behind the scenes, behind, is there a movie behind the movie? Now, for those who may not have seen the movie The Shining, um, because there are people that just don't like horror movies and just won't watch sure. them, um, I'm not one of those. I happen to love horror movies, and The Shining is one of my all-time favorites. Um, but the room, but the title room of your your documentary, Room Two Three Seven, actually has some significance. Well, I mean, Room Two Thirty Seven is um, you know a ro- the room inside of the hotel where you know all the action. And the movie takes place, and it is, you know, if the whole hotel is haunted, the room is the most haunted part of the hotel. And, you know, as I was, you know, kind of mentioning before, you know, there's people see a lot of significance even within the number 237. And, you know, part a big part of comparing The Shining, the movie, to The Shining, the book you know, looking at if if you're looking at it as Kubrick's creation as opposed to Stephen King's creation, you know, folks would um, concentrate on things that he changed. And you know, in the book, it was room two one seven. You know, so changing it to room two three seven suggests you know that there's some intentionality about that number in particular. Right, and actually, I've actually been to the Stanley Hotel, which was uh, Stephen King's inspiration for writing sure. The Shining, and I've been in the room that he stayed in, and I believe it was two seventeen, um, if I remember correctly, that was the room, and he, uh, you know, that was what he re- was writing the the story about his experiences from being in that hotel in that room. So it is interesting that Kubrick chose to change the number of the room, and it would make you think there was a reason for that. He was trying to do something by making that change. So let's um let's talk about this a little bit. Um, when we we when you say there are five 
in, in this particular film, in your film, there are five perspectives, five very different people looking at The Shining. Are they all looking at it? And the funny thing is I've, I've seen the film. I've seen your, your, your movie. Um, and it was a while ago, so I'm, I'm, I don't remember specifically the answer, the, the answer to this question. But are they all looking at it from the perspective of the moon landing conspiracy or are there are other possible conspiracies here as well? Oh no, no. That's that seems to be the one that captures you know the headlines. But you know, actually, in a movie that you know, I think it's about ninety four minutes. I think we spend in less than uh, I think we spend about seven on the moon landing theory. You know, so there's a lot of other there's a lot of other things that people see within the film. Um, some you know, there's there's a lot of talk about how the movie, you know, has something to say about the history of World War II. There's a lot about um, Native American symbolism. And those two are actually, you know, very related. If we talk about, you know, sort of cruelties of war, you know, and, you know, um, and, and, and that sort of thing, you know, World War II and, you know, the conquest uh, in, in manifest destiny you know both left um, both created you know millions of ghosts of their own you know there's a woman who talks about compares the maze you know within the film to um, the myth of you know the Minotaur um, there's a guy who comes at it from a few different directions and some of the really interesting ones are looking at the superimpositions within the dissolves, because some of the dissolves are very extended and you see images overlaid in interesting ways. But, you know, sort of the showstopper that he comes up with, John Phil Ryan comes up with, is the idea of looking at the movie both forwards and backwards and then going so far as to stage these screenings where people will watch the entire movie f- Dissolve forwards and backwards overlapped at the same time. So, so they're and when he, one is over uh, is superimposed on the other, and they're playing at the same time. Yeah, the sound plays forward, hmm. but you see the picture forward and backwards simultaneously, and it creates some of the most incredible overlaps and juxtapositions. You know, there's a moment when you know Jack Nicholson is at the bar. You know, and the bartender says, women, you can't live with them, can't live without them. And superimposed on top of that scene is that ghostly old crone um, from within room 237. Right. You know, and at the beginning when Jack is talking talking to Mr. Ullman, the manager of the hotel, who's describing to him the tragedy that happened at the hotel, you know, years before and how the former caretaker went mad. Um, and try to kill his family. And Jack says, that won't happen with me. At that same time, you're seeing him running through the maze <laughs> and carrying the axe. Um, it just a lot. It, I, think, I think because the compositions of the film are very clear, graphic, and simple, and the editing is, for the most part, fairly slow, um, it hardly ever dissolves into chaos. You know, you can usually look at both images um, at the same time pretty clearly, and you know, perhaps because many of them are symmetrical, they complement each other in interesting ways. Um, there's also, 
what's really interesting is if you see them, if you're watching them both at the same time, um, you know, the picture, the images get closer and closer as we approach the center. In the center, the the moment in the film that happens exactly midway is when Halloran is in Florida um, receiving the psychic message from Danny that he needs help. Yep. And you kind of see the two images get closer and closer and closer and just for a second converge. And then when you think about it, you know, it feels like perhaps Halloran is at that moment receiving both halves of the movie into his head. So when he goes to the hotel to try to rescue Danny, he knows what's going to happen. He knows that he's going to die, but he goes anyway because, mm. you know, he doesn't have a choice. Mm. Um, it, 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 it really makes you look at the entire movie um, very differently. Now, once it's very it, striking. Yeah, once again, so I understand this. Now, when, when, when you have this experience, are you watching the, the, the movie play forward and the movie play backwards side by side or one over top of oh, the other? Oh, no, dissolved right on top of right each other. Right on top of each other. Hmm, interesting. But you, you can follow it because you're listening to the audio right. um, forwards. Right. Um, we're going to take you a- know, I've, I've seen that done a handful of times hmm. in the aftermath, um, and, and, I, and I was pretty tickled to see it becoming, you know, kind of an unusual cult, you know, kind of a midnight yeah. <laughs> movie thing to do. Yeah, it sounds actually quite interesting. Um, we're going to take a break right now. When we come back, we'll continue this discussion. We're talking with Rodney Asher about his film, Room 237, which is a look at Stanley Kubrick's The Shining and trying to decipher some of what people think are hidden messages and hidden meanings in that film. Um, we've got a lot more to talk about. Again, the phone number is 844-687-7669. As we continue with a mixtape Tuesday bumper music. See if you can recognize some of these tunes that were on a mixtape that I found. It's Beyond Reality Radio. Uh, welcome back again. We have uh, Rodney Asher with us tonight. We're talking about his film, Room 237, which is a look at uh, Stanley Kubrick's uh, what would be considered a classic horror film, The Shining. Uh, are there hidden messages? Are there images that are telling a story beyond what the screenplay is telling us? What is going on with that film? And Rodney, um, we only have a couple of minutes here before we have to go to our top of the hour break. Um, but as this film was being made, um, what, that was it was it was released in 1980, so it must have been made in 78, 79, somewhere in that neighborhood. The moon landings themselves were just about 10 years old, um, so they were still pretty fresh in people's minds, right? Oh, sure. You know, and you know, I think you know, even for people who are um, you know skeptical of any of the um, no conspiracy theory notions about it. Um, there's a lot to say, you know, that the Overlook Hotel in its way, um, you know, represents the United States and the moon landing, you know, in the, throughout the 70s and, you know, and, and well beyond, you know, is a huge part of, um, you know, American imagery, American self-image, um, you know, the notion of what made, what makes this country special. You know, so references, you know, to the moon landing, you know, are completely appropriate, um, you know, looking at it that way. Yeah, and there is a, uh, 
a large contingent of people, and you can find this all over the Internet, that do assert that the moon landing was faked. It never really, really happened, and the footage we saw was all faked. And many of those people contend that Stanley Kubrick was the person who directed and made that footage. Um, well, you know, I think that probably comes from, you know, the fact that he had shot 2001, you know, in the 60s, which, you know, at that point, no one had ever seen, right. you know, special effects that looked, you know, realistic, you know, the way that movie did, the way that movie still does. Um, you know, and there's a sequence of, in that movie that takes place on the surface of the moon. Right. You know, so if you're looking for suspects, you know, he'd make the short list pretty quickly. All right. So what we're going to do is we're going to go to break here again. And when we come back, we're going to talk with Rodney about some of the things that are in The Shining that may or may not be uh, references to the moon landing and whether or not it was faked and whether or not Stanley Kubrick had anything to do with any of that. couple reminders. Tomorrow night on the program, Gary Michael Vazzi will be with us. He is an author and he'll be talking about black eyed kids and other paranormal phenomena. And then Thursday night, Bruce Markison will be here, better known as The Shark. He'll be uh, in for Jason and I. Um, I'll be headed to Hudson, Ohio for Dark Xmas, which is an event there that I'll be at with Rebecca Foster, actually, signing autographs, conducting galleries and presentations and taking pictures and having a whole lot of fun. There's a bunch of celebrities that will be involved. If you want to find out more information, just go to darkx-mas.com. Check that out. But anyway, uh, the shark, Bruce, will be here with Justin Elledge on Thursday night. He's a medical intuitive. He's known as the human MRI. He's going to be talking about medical intuition and its application to modern health challenges and new discoveries for practicing and enhancing clarity of mind, body, and spirit. That is Thursday night's program. Friday, of course, is always a best of, and then we're into the weekend. Make sure you stop by the website beyondrealityradio.com. Check out all the information there. You can see a list of the radio stations that carry the program. That list is continuing to grow. We're excited about that. In case uh, you're not sure how you can listen in your area um, and you'd like, like to listen live, check out the list of radio stations. It's a great way to do it. And then you can also order the Beyond Reality Radio coffee mug right there as well. It makes a great Christmas gift. Stop by our Facebook page. Give that a like. Uh, always great information going up there about our guests and what shows we've got coming up. Uh, and we welcome you to uh, leave comments about the show there as well. And if you download the show as a podcast, anytime you get a chance to like it, share it, comment on it, please do so. It helps us spread the word about Beyond Reality Radio. And we appreciate getting the word out so more people can be part of the show. We will be taking your phone calls if you want to comment about uh, any of the things Things we're talking about tonight at 844-687-7669. Again, our guest tonight is Rodney Asher. He's a filmmaker. His first film uh, is a documentary called Room 237. And uh, it is a film that takes a look, a very, very close and intimate look at uh, Stanley Kubrick's uh, classic horror film, The Shining, starring Jack Nicholson. Um, just a great movie. I actually, uh, Rodney had a chance to meet uh, Danny Lloyd um, over the summer as well at one of my events. And of course, he is the actor that played little Danny Torrance in the film. Um, he did a really, really good job for a, a child actor, I felt, um, probably uh, because he had such a great director uh, working with him. But um, as far as the film goes itself, before we get into some of these things, these clues that were um, allegedly left by Kubrick in the film to point to some of these things. Are you a horror fan in general, and is The Shining a film that you liked before you uh, undertook this documentary effort? 
Oh, absolutely. You know, I think horror films were some of my, you know, favorite films um, growing up, but, you know, <laughs> through today as well. You know, I remember, you know, spending, you know, my uh, you know, early years in front of uh, the Creature Double Feature, you know, watching Godzilla movies and, you know, things like The Brain That Wouldn't Die and War of the Gargantuas. <laughs> Those are always the most <laughs> important movies to me, you know, as a kid. And, you know, this year I was, you know, excited to see, uh, you know, the new Suspiria and things like Hereditary. I just I just spent a weekend with Barbara McNulty too uh, from the original Suspiria. Um, oh, that's great! So I, I love that you keep bringing these films up because it, uh, it means a lot to me as well. Um, so in the movie The Shining, um, and one of the things that Room Two Three Seven takes a look at are clues that were supposedly left by Kubrick or um, placed there by Kubrick to uh, indicate that the moon landings that we many of us, um, at least our parents, in many cases watched on live television um, as the Apollo missions were touching down and astronauts were stepping off onto the lunar surface for the first time. Um, there's contention that that was fake. That didn't really happen. Or if it did happen, the footage we saw wasn't necessarily the real footage. Uh, some people contend that uh, NASA was afraid there would have been a disaster and they didn't want the real live footage being shown because if there was a disaster, it would have been a national embarrassment. Um, so as you looked at this and you talked with people who offered these opinions and these ideas to you, what were some of the clues left in The Shining that pointed to this uh, moon landing as being a possible hoax? Well, sure. And, you know, let me, um, you know, let me introduce it by saying, you know, this is, um, you know, all the, the moon landing sequence, you know, within room 237, you know, the ideas are all coming from Jay Widener, you know, who is a writer and a filmmaker, you know, um, himself. And it was his essay about, um, you know, the moon landing that inspired us to reach out to him and talk to him for the film. So, you know, what I share within the movie is not so much my interpretation of The Shining, but, you know, I sort of do a round table and I've got five people who I all thought had, you know, really fascinating points of view and allowed them to decode it, um, you know, from, from, from each of their own perspectives. Um, you know, and the things that Jay found in it, I think, you know, the, the one that most people remember, um, you know, the, the strongest is that, you know, there's a scene, you know, about, I don't know, maybe a third or, or you're close to midway through the film where Danny is playing upstairs in the hallway and a ball rolls up, rolls down to him. And as he stands up, you see that he's wearing a sweater that has an Apollo 11 rocket, you know, kind of knit into the pattern, you know, and it's front and center large on his Jersey and it's in the middle of the frame, you know, and as he stands up, it looks like, the rocket is rising, you know, and then he looks you know, straight forward and he sees that, you know, the door is open and he walks to room 237 and Jay um, talks again about how the number 217 in the original movie, in the original book was changed to 237. And I think in the 70s when the film was made, there was an understanding that, you know, the moon was approximately, you know, 237,000 miles away from the Earth. Um, 
there's an interesting aside in his essay. We didn't get to show it in the film, but this was a detail that I thought was really fascinating, was that the um, previous uh, caretaker, uh, Grady, you know, had a pair of twin daughters. You know, in another in a word for twins is Gemini. You know, and the right. mission that preceded Apollo was Gemini. Right. Um, you know, he sees a similarity in there's like a pattern on the wall, like there's this big mural of Navajo paintings that look, you know, sort of like rockets. And um, there's the pattern within the rug, you know, that he describes as looking like the road to the launch pad. There's like a single road that comes to, you know, kind of a hexagon-shaped um, complex. And in the movie, we kind of um, illustrate that as well. Um, I think the other... The, there was an interesting story that, you know, Kubrick worked with you know, after 2001, where he established a relationship with um, with NASA. He was able to borrow some of their lenses to shoot Barry Lyndon, you know, under candlelight, because, you know, Unlike today, where you know there are computer sensors and cameras that allow people to shoot on, under under very very low light situations, um, it was really difficult, you know, in the seventies to do it. You know, so he was able to, you know, he, he had a close enough relationship to NASA that he could, you know, borrow lenses that opened up wide enough to expose scenes um, that were shot in almost complete blackness. Um, but again, you know, if that's a road that people want to um, walk down, you know, I think Jay's gotten in, you know, we spent about seven minutes in the moon landing among the other stories that we explored. Jay's got, I think, almost an entire DVD <laughs> dedicated to it on his own. So as you were being uh, putting your film together and you were hearing these points of view and being offered some of these facts and, and perspectives on what was being seen in the the shining itself, did any of it start to sway you one way or another? I mean, you tried to remain neutral in all of this, and you said that, but did you start to think, hmm, there might be something very much to this? Well, you know, it's it's hard to say. Well, I was working on each section, you know, I would I, I would you know, absolutely fall under the spell, and as I was, you know, editing each section together, I tried to make myself, you know, an advocate. For each for each of these points of view, you know, and you know, I'm often asked, you know, how do I know if any of them are right or wrong? And even kind of narrowing down what that question means gets to be really slippery, yeah. you know, because we're talking about, you know, um, subjective interpretations and author's intent, you know, and if. Kubrick's intent is unknowable, you know, and like one thing that I've discovered, you know, is that even if a filmmaker, you know, or an artist, you know, um, describes their film, you know, saying that they meant to do something or they didn't mean to do something, you can't always take them at their word, you know, because I've read people, you know, have written about, you know, 237 and have suggested things about it that, um, are more interesting and more provocative <laughs> than what I've meant, you know, and I was absolutely tempted, you know, to, you know, to, to steal it and to, and to say, Oh yes, that's what I meant all along. Um, you know, or, 
you know, I've certainly seen people try to, filmmakers try to, you know, poo-poo the idea that they were working in on any sort of symbolic level, um, you know, because they're afraid of sounding especially pretentious. I think even within the film, Jeffrey Cox, who's the uh, World War II historian, who talks about, you know, how evocative some of the movie is, you know, of, um, of, of ideas about the Holocaust, you know, says that, you know, the author's intent is only half the is only, you know, half the story and symbols get in there, you know, whether they intend it or not. I mean, if you've ever seen Nightmare on Elm Street 2, uh, Freddy's Revenge, mm-hmm. it's a, it, it plays like a really, really homoerotic story about, you know, a high school kid who's in the closet and can't bear to come out. Um, and, you know, and that Freddie is kind of, you know, messing with him about, about that stuff. And, you know, I watched that film with a director's commentary, you know, and he says, I understand that that's how people talk about this movie. And as I watch it, you know, like there's a scene, you know, in the lock, there, there's like, you know, there's a, a, a scene in the locker room or these, you know, 17 year old boys have a sleepover together. It's like, I can absolutely see what they're saying, but I've got to admit when I was on the set, that never occurred to me that that's how this film was going to look. You know, so you know his intention um, is not the is, is not even the whole story. We're talking with Rodney Asher. We're talking about his documentary film Room Two Three Seven. We're going to continue our conversation after the break. The phone number is eight four four six eight seven seven six six nine. Stay with us. A lot more to come. Welcome back to the show. It's Beyond Reality Radio. I'm JV Johnson. Jason is off tonight. We're talking with Rodney Asher uh, about uh, uh, several of his works, actually, specifically Room Two Three Seven. Uh, for the first part of the show anyway. And I'm going to uh, be honest here, Rodney, these segments just fly by when you're talking about something so interesting. I'm just fascinated by this whole topic. And this is a short segment. But um, after you put Room 237 together, particularly as it comes to the moon landing discussion, um, did you happen to go in and look at any of the other evidence that would have been non-The Shining-related evidence that people point to that those moon landings were faked? Well, I mean, to tell you the truth, I didn't. You know, my my interest in the topic was really specifically how people, you know, used their special, you know, um, you know, their special expertise, their own private obsessions, um, you know, in wrestling with The Shining. You know, in a in a similar way, you know, I didn't reach out to anybody who worked on the film. You know, any of the art directors or camera people, you know, I mean, I, I've, I, I, I had tried to make, you know, a few films before two, three, seven, you know, and I was often kind of thrown into a paralysis when the topic would be, I would find myself, you know, facing a topic that was just too wide, you know? So for me, the narrowness of the, um, of the focus in two three seven, talk to people who have you know really compelling interpretations of the film as a way to you know talk about the way you know people make sense of the world the way that people you know study anything you know I I used The Shining in this case you know I could have used two thousand one I could have used you know the Zapruder film you know people look mm-hmm. at the news the same way that you know people look at The Shining. 
You know, there's even that scene in Reservoir Dogs, you know, where the guys are sitting around the table, you know, trying to think what, um, trying to figure out what Madonna's uh, Like a Virgin really meant. Right. Um, you know, and I have, <laughs> I've always found those conversations to be especially fascinating. Um, you know, there's something really interesting that, you know, an artist creates something and puts it out in the world, and then they lose control of, you know, what people are going to do with it. You know, they no longer have a, they no longer have a say in, um, in, in, in how it's going to be used, how it's going to be understood. Um, did we, did you have any comment or reaction from, uh, the Kubrick family after the release of the film? Um, never directly, you know, they certainly, um, made it clear that, um, you know, they didn't endorse any of these, um, any, uh, any of these readings or, um, ideas about the movie, you know, and asked us to, um, you know, put that disclaimer at the head of the film. Um, but, um, no, I never talked to them, you know, directly. I never talked to them directly, though. I've come to, um, know Leon Vitale a little bit, you know, who, um, did work on the film. Right. Uh, tonight we're talking with Rodney Asher. He's a filmmaker. We've got several films to his credit. Check out his website, Rodney Asher, and Asher is spelled A-S-C-H-E-R. It's RodneyAsher.com. Rodney, where's the best place for people to follow your work, maybe uh, see some of the films, buy some of the films? Where would you recommend they go? Well, I mean, my site you know, has a, a pretty good rundown of the films themselves. You know they're um, you know they're all available on you know DVD or Blu-ray on Amazon. Um, there's Netflix has got the Nightmare. I think two three seven is on Amazon, Hulu, and Shutter right now. I also have a, a half hour. Um, you know, um, I, I have a half hour um, pilot on Shutter. Um, so they're kind of you know they're 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 out there. They're available. Let's talk about the nightmare a little bit. Um, it's a di- it's a different type of film than uh, Room Two Three Seven, and it deals with something that actually is is a very very serious topic for a lot of people, and it's uh, sleep paralysis. When did this idea uh, become something that you felt you wanted to pursue? Well, I mean, it happened to me, you know, when I was first, uh, when, you know, when I, when I was, I guess about the time that I graduated from college, you know, and like a lot of the people in the film, I had no idea what it was, you know, um, you know, I was certain it was a supernatural experience and it was, you know, two or three years later before I found out that, um, you know, it's, you know, sort of a sleep disorder where, um, you can wake up unable to move and unable to speak completely aware of your surroundings. Um, and then, you know, often, hear things and see things, you know, see things like, you know, these jet black, you know, shadowy, you know, ghostly figures, you know, and, you know, the, one of the most striking things about it is that, you know, different people see similar things, you know, even though, you know, they have had no contact with one another in that, you know, there's not been a whole lot of lore about it, you know, so it's, um, not necessarily something that's coming from, you know, exposure to the idea. Um, you know, and it was after 237 where the idea of making a film about it came to me, you know, even if that was, you know, maybe 
you know, over a decade, um, you know, after it happened to me. Um, but I mean, that was because in that time, you know, social media really took off, you know, the internet and Reddit and things. And I was able to come into, you know, contact with, um, the stories of so many other people, you know, cause even after I found out that I wasn't the only person that it ever happened to, I had no way of reaching out to, to other people or reading what their experiences were like. Um, and once that became, you know, once the internet sort of enabled that, um, the notion of reaching out to a bunch of them and, you know, letting them tell their stories and trying to bring them to life, um, you know, seemed like a seemed like a, a fertile territory to mine. We've had uh, people on the program that have written books about this particular topic, have also uh, experienced it themselves, and uh, we tend to take a lot of interest in the experiences that do feature these uh, sightings of, in many cases, like shadow figures, or sure. in some cases, shadow figures wearing a hat or a top hat. It seems to be a bit of a common occurrence. Um, and you pointed out you were, you know, talking to people or had these experiences. There's no reason there should have been a common thread between many of these stories. They're not connected. They didn't talk about it. Um, yet there are. Did you? walk away from making that film thinking there might be something more to this than just a physical phenomenon? Well, you know, I had to become, well, I mean, in a way it's similar to 237 where I became, you know, sort of comfortable with not being able to know um, definitively, you know, in, in 237, you know, I, I don't definitively know exactly what Stanley Kubrick meant, you know, with, you know, every um, unusual element of The Shining. And, you know, between talking to, you know, tons of people who have gone through sleep paralysis and psychologists and reading up on it from multiple perspectives, I mean, I understand what, you know, psychologists and, you know, sort of sleep professionals say is happening in sleep paralysis. And I understand some of the um, uh, more metaphysical ideas um, that, that, that people who experienced it talk about. And, you know, both explanations um, leave stray corners, you know, that I can't quite, that I, that, that I can't quite solve. You know, and the physiological, psychological one makes a fair amount of sense, but I've never come across a um, a compelling explanation for why, you know, why, why there's the recurrence of some of these figures, the hat man, the shadow man, the um, old hag, um, um, you know, and on and on. Yeah, um, yeah so... You know, I've resigned myself to. You know, I, I didn't go into it thinking that I was going to be able to person that I was going to be be the person who was able to, you know, solve it definitively. You know, what I wanted to do was kind of let people who haven't experienced it try to get an understanding of what it was like. And one thing that's been gratifying is that you know I've heard from a lot of people who have gone through it that they, that there's a real relief that some of them feel in seeing their own experience, um, you know, reflected back at them on the screen, you know, even if, 
you know, what we're doing is, you know, not in any way, shape or form, you know, presented as therapeutic. You know, we try to make it feel more like a horror movie because the experience feels, you know, like a horror movie. You know, I know it was the most, you know, terrifying thing that ever happened to me. Yeah. And and I believe the film itself uh, got some accolades for being quite scary itself. (laughs) Yeah, there were some people who, you know, who wrote that it was very scary. You know, there's always going to be you know, uh, crosstalk and, 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 and folks who didn't think it was scary at all. But um, one thing that I always thought that I thought was really interesting is, you know, at every screening, I would ask people in the audience how many of them have ever experienced anything like this, you know, and at a premiere, you know, where, you know, where it was the first time that that you know that that we showed the film, and I think people have been talking about sleep paralysis more and more in the years since. Not not the least of which is because I think one of the uh, Kardashians has come out and admitted that um, she suffers from it. But you know, when I asked people after the film how many people have experienced anything like this, it's like thirty percent of the audience raised their hands. Wow! And they were as shocked to look around and see how many others. Um, had gone through it, but you know the people who were really shocked were the people who hadn't and thought that what they were seeing on screen was a complete fantasy. Um, we've had people on the program, or at least one in particular I can remember, that was convinced that the sleep paralysis episodes uh, were alien-related, and in many cases abduction-related. Uh, did any of that come up during the making of the film? Well, a little. I mean, one of the guys that we talked to, you know, described seeing something that looks a lot like, um, you know, that looked a lot like extraterrestrials. And, you know, it's interesting because you can look at the overlap between sleep paralysis and alien abductions, you know, either, you know, through like a skeptical lens, you know, or through a um, paranormal lens, you know, that on the one hand, this could be... um, a psychological thing that's happening to people that explains what alien abductions are, that if person one may see a shadow person and person two experiences the phenomenon and interprets what they're seeing as an alien abduction, you know, that in many ways there are things in the, you know, there's a lot that those experiences have in common, not the least of which is you are laying on a surface unable to move as these figures are looming above you. You know, but, you know, the you know, sort of paranormal take on it is this is a state of consciousness in which you can see things that, um, you know, are you, that are real, but are usually, you know, hidden, occult, invisible. Right. Right. They actually kind of kind of sending sh- shivers down my spine when you start putting it that way. <laughs> um, uh, so uh, if... Let's let's we've only got a few minutes left here, and I, I want to make sure that uh, we have an opportunity again to let people know how they can watch these films of yours. But also, what do you have that you're working on now? I know filmmakers don't sit idle very long. Well, let's see. I'm finishing two rock documentaries, actually. <laughs> um, you know about both about you know very troubled you know kind of um, you know punk rock bands from the '80s and '90s, which is another. Um, you know, real interest of mine. And we're getting started to do a project about um, simulation theory and the notion, you know, that um, the world around us is a um, mm-hmm. digital, uh, is, is a digital creation. 
Interesting. Um, I have to ask you this, too, because uh, I'm a bit fascinated, and I'm certainly not a filmmaker, but just the, the idea fascinates me that things have changed so much with the introduction and the popularity of streaming services like Net- Netflix, Amazon Prime, Hulu, you know, whatever it happens to be. How is how are th- how have things changed? Because it's kind of all happened during your coming of age as a filmmaker, I would say. Um, how has that changed things for you? Well, it's, I mean... It's interesting because two three seven was really you know happened like I think twenty twelve was one of the last what what one of the last years where that was you know just sort of a little bonus at the end of the road. Is it like you know, the Netflix that, option? Is that what you mean? Yeah, it was like a bonus. Yeah, that, yeah right. That, you know that you know theatrical and DVDs and even and even cable are kind of the places where you expect to you know to sell your movie and to make your money back if you're so lu- if you're lucky enough to do that which is not not necessarily what happens to the majority of right. independently financed documentaries but you know, even by the time of the nightmare um you know we went to Netflix you know very very quickly um you know Netflix is but it's already changed again that like in 2015 Netflix and Amazon and Hulu for you know a year two or or, or or two years they would come in and buy you know films at festivals very quickly and sometimes be competing you know with the traditional film distributors um, you know and once you know Netflix has got a uh, uh, has a date that your film is going to air you know the window for you to play in theaters or to sell DVDs gets very very gets very very small but i think already there may be a shift that a lot of those services are you know producing things themselves yeah and on the one hand you can go there you know you you you, you can try to interest them in coming aboard very early but um things may be shifting again about stuff that's independently financed and if it if you know whether those services are going to be um how interested they are in acquiring movies versus producing them because you know they're making they're making so much original stuff these days yeah. you know, directly on their own yeah you know it's funny as um, I, as i became a a consumer of this uh, these vod services particularly netflix you know my original uh excitement over something like like netflix is to be able to watch whatever, you know, classic movies, whatever it happened to be that I, I wanted to see. And there was a library there I could choose from at any point. And they started to introduce these originals, Netflix originals, whether it was a TV type show or a film. And I thought, I don't want to see their stuff. I want to see other the other stuff that I wanted, you know, would have seen elsewhere that I couldn't get elsewhere. And, but I've, I've quickly started to change my mind on that because some of that stuff they've they've offered is really, really good. Yeah, and well, and they go to and they they work with you know some really talented people and take more chances. Like I, I was, you know, I remember when House of Cards came on, and I was surprised at you know how bold a show it was. I was I was expecting them to do something that would be very middle of the road, but that's not what they do at all. Yeah. In fact, you know, it's you know they're, they're they're producing shows that would never have gotten produced before. You know, I like I enjoy that. My, my wife and I really enjoy Glow, the uh, the, the dramatization of that '80s female uh, wrestling show. Um, you know, and I can't imagine that yeah. playing on a <laughs> uh, on a regular channel before. 
you know, the, the the only place it gets trickier now is you know finding places to see classic films. You know, right. Filmstruck. You know, is supposed to be closing at the end of the month. Although I know there's a petition uh, format to there's a petition drive to get it reopened. Um, you know, a lot of the the a lot a lot of the services their catalog for movies like pre. 1990, you know, is you know not nearly as complete as um, as they could be. Right. You know, I'm I'm especially lucky that um, my office is literally above a fantastic video store um, in South Pasadena, Videotech. You know that has you know almost everything in their archives. Um, but um, I know for a lot of folks, it's getting harder to see classic movies since the video stores closed up and, you know, the Netflix people are all streaming and not using like that DVD, uh, and delivery service anymore. Yeah. Um, it is It is a changing world. It's changing faster than I can get a handle on any of it. And it sure uh, we just got to hold on for the ride, I suppose. All right. One more time. Where can people see your films? Um, you can see uh, The Nightmare on uh, Netflix. You can see 237 on Amazon, Amazon Prime, Hulu, and uh, Shudder. You can see something I did called Primal Screen, um, episode one, The Wooden Boy on Shudder. And then there's other shorts and stuff that are floating around on YouTube or Vimeo. If you go to my site, RodneyAsher.com, there's links to a lot of stuff. Great. Well, we appreciate you spending the time with us tonight, Rodney. Oh, it was great talking with you. Beyond Reality Paranormal is hosted by J.V. Johnson and produced by Orion Palmer and Slick Eddie Edwards. Like us on Facebook and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Please consider supporting the program either through your podcast platform, click on the link in the description, or on Patreon at Joha Productions. If you'd like to be a guest on Beyond Reality Paranormal or you have a recommendation for a guest, contact our producer, Slick Eddie Edwards. Eddie is spelled with a Y at slickeddieedwards at gmail.com.